Great job, guys. We appreciate that. I tell you, when we sing this, that particular song, it's really a modern version of what you would say is found in Revelation chapter 4. Uh, just seeing the worthy lamb there in the corner by the throne and uh, him coming forward to take the seals and to open the seals to start the whole process of the book of Revelation. It's a beautiful scene that we find there in Revelations chapter 4 and 5. If you have a Bible, which I hope you do, or a way of seeing God's Word, turn to Psalm or point at something or whatever you do to Psalm 139. We're going to continue uh, this sermon that we started last week uh, called The Incredible Life. And uh, this is part two. Now, many people believe that David did write Psalm 139. And as I said last week, many believe he possibly did this near the end of his life, that he's looking back, he's reflecting on the life that God had given him. And what's amazing about this is if you read the implications there in Psalm 139, you will find that he discovered somewhere along the line that God had a plan for his life, and not only that, that God had equipped him for that plan. Now, I personally believe he's done the same thing for every one of us. Everyone that he created, everyone who, who has come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, become a follower of Jesus Christ, he has a plan. There's something he's up to when it comes to your life. And so David seems to come to the conclusion that it's been an incredible life. Now, there's some of you, as I said last week, that are sitting here today. Maybe you came in here today and you thought, you know something? I'm here to worship God for what he's done. I want to come show my gratitude because, yes, this is an incredible life that he's given me. But some of you, maybe you showed up here today, as I said last week, that you, maybe you don't think life's fair. Maybe you don't even think God is fair. Maybe for some of you... When we sing, God has never let us down, or at least that implication of that, you would say, I'm not so sure about that. When, when we sing or talk about that God will always be there, maybe some of you are sitting here today and you say, that's not really true. And then there's others who would say, when we say, God will never forsake you, well, explain what I'm feeling right now then. And it's very interesting that King David, who wrote about this incredible life in Psalm 139, had every one of these feelings in some of the other Psalms that he wrote. There were times where he felt like that God had forsaken him. If you don't believe me, read some of the Psalms that he wrote. There were times where he felt like life was not fair, that everything is against him. He felt every bit of that. So the question is, how can you have it both ways? David understood that we live in a world that has fallen and requires overcoming one obstacle after another. How many of you have lived long enough to know that life seems to be that? Overcoming one crisis, one obstacle, one challenge, one circumstance that blows us away. And then the fact, not only that, that life's that way, we deal with people who are fallen. We deal with people who have a free will. God allows them to have that free will. We also have our own fallen nature. There's times, like I said last week, that sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. There's times in which I will look and, and, and maybe make a decision based on the flesh. The fact is we're actually born with this flesh nature. We're born in sin. So how do you have an incredible life when all these things seem to be against you? Well, Psalm 139, it implies that God not only knows everything about us, he has intentions for, intentions for our life that can lead 
to an incredible life. But how does that come about? Well, last week, look on your outline, we looked at this. The incredible life includes realizing God created you particularly. The idea there is uniquely. Psalm 139, look at verse, verses 13 and 14. David says, for you form my inward parts. You covered me. It literally means you woven me. You embroidered me in my mother's womb. A work of art. I will praise you. This idea, I will show my gratitude. For I am fearfully, basically he's in all of what God had done, and wonderfully made. That's the idea of functionally. Marvelous are your works. He's basically, nothing compares to what you've done. That my soul, and that my soul, the deepest part of who I am, knows very well. It's the whole idea that David saw his life created intentionally. And last week we looked at, well, how did God make us uniquely? Well, first of all, our singularity is that idea of what makes you, you. And we looked at our personalities. We looked at all these different things in which seem to be at the core of who we are. But not only that, we looked at the whole idea of the salvation that has come into our lives. And I guarantee you, when you look at those who are baptized here today, the stories that we saw displayed in, in baptism, they all have a different story of how God came into their life. Our spiritual gifts, the fact that God has placed us at a certain time in history, all this goes to make up that whole idea of our uniqueness. And last week, we also saw the incredible life includes discovering your God-given purpose. Look at verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought. It's that idea. He saw what was needed and created it in the lowest parts of the earth. Last week, we saw that we were created. The key purposes in which we were created, Jesus even talked about. When, he talked, when those confronted him about what are the greatest commandments, he, he gave them, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The second, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And we saw that last week, loving and serving God, loving and investing in others. Today, I want to begin with the idea this morning, uh, uh, the incredible life also includes living your God-given potential. First of all, we got to realize that we have potential. Some of you are sitting here today and you say, you know, I've lived many years, haven't seen a whole lot of potential here. Well, it's there. I guarantee it's there. Based on Psalm 139 and these verses that we have read, it's there. The question is not only discovering it, but actually living it. It has been said that our potential is God's gift to us, and what we do with that potential is our gift back to him. So look at verse 16 of Psalm 139. God, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written. Here it is, the days fashioned for me. When as yet, there were none of them. God, you saw it. You, you looked down through the corridors of time. You, you looked down through the, 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 what will become history one day, and you saw me. And you not only saw me with the potential and all the, the activity that can come from my life, you've actually planned my days. They're out there. They're awaiting me. Really, when you begin to look at verse 16, here's what I come away with. It's a picture of what we are capable of becoming. 
Now, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8, if you will. We're, going to, we're finished with 139. We want to go to Romans chapter 8, and there's some things I want to show you there. But as you turn, listen to this. God uses the things available in us. I want you to think about that. Our gifts, talents, even our dysfunction, even our sin. And, and in this world, he uses our pain, our sorrow, our injustice to move us towards the potential that he has for us. It's that whole idea of growing towards maturity, growing towards the point of our potential. Now, living your God-given potential requires having, look on your outline, the right perspective and attitude. Now, how many of you have ever done a study of the parables of Jesus? Hopefully, many of you have. I, I, I've heard some of you talk about it. Sometimes you'll do that in your connect group or in a Bible study. But I want you to listen to this. Uh, one of the most uh, talked about topics that Jesus talked about in the parables was the idea to move us from an earthly perspective to a heavenly perspective. If you go study those parables, you're going to see that was God's intention. Now, you could say, well, a parable is literally a, a, a heavenly thing out there that maybe is hard to get our minds around. And he tries to speak to us on a practical level. Well, that's, that's fine, too, and it is. But you look at a lot of it, and it's all about looking at the perspective, a heavenly perspective. Someone has said this, if you look here on the screen, your perspective and attitude not intelligence, education, talent, ability, opportunity, and even hard work are the main factors that determine whether you'll reach your God-given potential. And that is so true. I've lived life long enough to know that that's true. The right perspective, if we really, really want to narrow it down, if we were to say, okay, where does the heart of the right perspective come from? I believe it comes from prayer, from prayer. Now, a lot of us have this idea about prayer, that it's us going before the throne of God, us presenting our requests, presenting all these different things, and, and that is a part of it. But I'm here to tell you, as I've gotten older and understood more about what prayer is, I've learned that that's become really a small part of it. It's really more, when, now as I've matured in my walk with Christ, it becomes that prayer really is one of those things that God uses in my life to bring me to the proper perspective of the things that's going on all around me. I believe that's true. To give me the right attitude. To help me to see it from his perspective. But so many times in my early days of my prayer life, it was all about putting something before God and, 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 and nagging him to death until I saw him do it or something like that. But you know something? The longer I've lived, the longer I've seen things take shape in my life, prayer, my prayer life's become more about seeing it from God's perspective, having his perspective on my life. I want to look at Romans chapter 8. I hope you've already turned there. In Romans chapter 8, we get a sense of this in verse 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Now, I want you to think about that. He says, the Spirit, the Spirit works and grows us through our weaknesses, through our weak conditions, through the weaknesses of who we are. It is the Spirit that brings about that possible potential. When he says weaknesses, many, uh, many commentaries or many people think it's talking about, it just speaks of our overall condition. But many would agree that it could include our fear, our doubt, the strongholds that are in our life, or even the tough circumstances that we deal with. So look what he says here. 
Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. How many of you felt like that at times in your prayer life? There's things that God's laid on your heart. There's something going on around you. You know you don't have the proper perspective, but when you look at it, there's just something that seems to be amiss. Well, the Bible says, the spirit that indwells me when I come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior is there interceding on my behalf. Interceding on my behalf. And here's what it says. He says, the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I think when I read this, at least as part of this verse, I'm t- it talks about that whole idea that there's, there's times in our lives where we can't even utter the right words to speak to God about. Sometimes it's because it's overwhelming. Sometimes we just don't know what to say about it. Sometimes we have no idea of perspective when it comes to where we find our lives at times. And he's sitting here and he's saying, in those moments is when the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Verse 27, now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is. He who searches the heart is the Father. And what Paul is trying to tell us here, he's saying that the, what the Spirit is up to is it, the, the Spirit of the Father also, is, or it's the whole idea they're working in unison to bring something about in our lives. So they're in one accord, basically. And it says he makes intercession for the saints according to, to the will of God. And this is where the verse we all know. This is the one that we hang on to for dear life, right? Romans 8, 28. But think of it in the context of what we just, we just said. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Verse 29, from whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son. So if you were to say, okay, there's times I don't know how to pray. There's times where the spirit has to intercede on behalf of me. And as a result of that, there's times I just got to trust God with my life to know he's working something out that he can bring about anything that touches my life into what we would classify as this incredible life. And sometimes I just have to hold on to Romans 8, 28. But, it, but here's the goal. The goal is to bring us closer to the image of who his son is. That's what the incredible life is all about. That we live in the midst of circumstances. That we live in the midst of the constraints of this world. That we live in all this, but yet there's a process that God is bringing about in our lives. And it's that whole process of living towards that potential. So what does all this mean? Look on your outline. The right perspective and attitude concerning possibly your childhood. Your childhood. Some of you are sitting here today and you're saying, you know something, I I hear what you gotta say, but coming out of the gate, life was tough. Coming out of the gate, it it was more that I can handle. Coming out of the gate, there was, There was dysfunction all around me. There was abuse. And and as a result of that, I've never felt like I've seen things in the way that you're talking about right now. It overwhelms me. It's always before me. And for some of us, we got to realize that even in the midst of whatever you may have faced as a young person, God can use it. God can bring about his purposes with it. Do I believe God's the author of your abuse? No, not whatsoever. I don't. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God can take whatever that is 
and make something beautiful out of it. He can take the, the broken and create beauty. Second of all, the constraints. What, what, what about the what right perspective, attitude concerning constraints, our limitations, our deficiencies? How many of you remember the story in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Paul was basically sitting there pleading with God is really what it comes down to. And he's basically pleading with God to remove something out of his life. You're familiar with the story, the thorn in the flesh? Three times he prayed. Three times he prayed. And, and then we have, if, you, if your Bible has read where God speaks or Jesus speaks, you see red there. My grace is sufficient. I'll take care of you and your weakness. And, and so Paul comes away saying, okay, God, you're not going to deal with this limitation in my life. You're not going to deal with this deficiency. You're not going to deal with whatever's hanging out here. But then Paul comes to this conclusion it, later in that chapter, he says this. So I am well pleased, I've come to fact to accept what's going on, that with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for the sake of Christ, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm strong. I see it. Things become very clear to me. I see God working in and through my life. Let me, let me say this this morning. There's a lot of you sitting here today that I guarantee you're sitting there thinking, you know, I don't see how God's working through my life a lot of the times. I hear people say that a lot, and I don't see that a lot of times. L let me tell you, for me, it didn't begin until I started looking at things from the right perspective. When I began to see that in my weakness, my weakness just doesn't have to be weakness that puts me on the shelf, that stifles me, that keeps me from growing. No, the Bible says, Paul says, no, when I'm weak, that's when I see him. That's when I have his power. That's when I see his strength. I see something that's beyond me. And that's part of that incredible life. But he's saying that. The right perspective and attitude concerning circumstances it's really the idea, if you think about our circumstances, the circumstances are intended to be overcome, to overcome the circumstance. And the first place we have to go to when it comes to these circumstances, look on your outline, is to recognize those that you're in your control and those that are outside of your control. Most of the time, I've found that many of the circumstances that I'm under are not even under my control. How many of you have noticed that about life? Yeah, there's things that are way out of my control. What people think, how people react, health news that is beyond anything I could ever imagine, uh, something that happens with, with a, uh, someone that I love. So many of the circumstances we deal with today are outside of our control. But then there are those that are inside of our control. And those are the things that God can grow us through. But in the meantime, what do you do with those things that are outside of our control? Can we still see an incredible life? Well, Ephesians 4, 6 says this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So what happens when those things that are outside of our control pop up in our life? So many times we, we, we go and we whine and we moan, and sometimes everything in our life just stops. But what's he saying? Don't just sit there and moan and groan about it. Give it to God. See what he can do with it. If it's bigger than you, take it to one who's bigger than that. That's what he's saying. Next, claim responsibility. Responsibility is not rights. 
so many times. And listen, do I love our freedoms as, as Americans? Absolutely. Do I love our liberty? Do I love all that? I love that. I love the fact that we live in a country that allows us to come together like we're doing right now to lift up the name of Jesus, to learn more about what he's all about. I, I love that. But with that, many times, we as Americans, we began to look at what is our rights. We demand our rights. And sometimes that takes precedent over the things that we should just be responsible for, that, that we shouldn't be demanding those things. We need to be living through those things. But we are to claim responsibility, not rights. Next, choose to live as a victor and not as a victim. I can't tell you how many times that people show up and they present their problem and they're, Pastor, I don't know what to do with this. This thing's bigger than me. And, and, and it's almost like the way they even describe it. They, they describe it as they're a victim. Yet the Bible says in Romans 8, 37, yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And if you go look at the preceding verses before that, there's a lot of stuff that we're overcomers when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's all about having the right attitude, the right perspective. Next, right perspective and attitude concerning cultivation. It's the idea of growth. It's the idea of maturity. Let, let me just tell you this. Uh, maybe, I need, maybe we need to deflate some people here first thing before we go any further. Let me just tell you this. You have not arrived. You never will. How many of you thought at one point in your life, maybe I'm there, and then something comes into your life, just blows it all out of proportion? And the thing that we need to understand is that we're living this life in this world, in this kingdom, the earth. We're living as those who are progressing through. You say, where is that in the Bible? Well, Paul's own experience. In Philippians chapter 3, I love these verses, starting with verse 12. Here's what he says. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected. He's basically saying, I'm not there yet. I, I, I'm basically, I'm not mature in all things. But I press on. He keeps on keeping on. How many of you have noticed this about life? To survive, it's about keep on keeping on, isn't it, sometimes? And that's tough. That's tough. But Paul says, I press on. Why would he press on? That I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has also laid hold of me. I think it goes back to that whole idea that, that he had a hold of me long before I had a hold of him. And there's a purpose, there's a plan, and there's something he wants to achieve in and through my life. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. But one thing I do do, forgetting those things which are behind me. Did Paul have a past? Oh, yeah, Paul had a past. The very thing that he sought to build his life upon, he was tearing down before he met Jesus. He had a past, tough past. He says, I don't let that defeat me anymore. And reaching forward to those things which are ahead, move forward, unrestrained. And then he says, why would I do all that? I press toward the goal of the prize. That's the whole idea of God's best, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was saying, Concerning his spiritual life, if you look at these verses, he's basically saying his spiritual growth is a challenge, and at times it's messy. How many of you agree with that? It's messy sometimes, isn't it? Paul, 
don't you just love it when people are just open and honest with you and they reveal their vulnerabilities? I love King David and the, the Psalms that he wrote. Sometimes he's crying out the same thing that's on my heart to cry out to God. Where are you? <laughs> I'm struggling here. Paul himself says in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, he's literally talking about his, his struggle with his flesh. He's not talking about what the world's throwing at him necessarily. He's not talking about how the enemy's coming after him. He's talking about the very thing that that's in him that's giving him his biggest hang-up. And he's basically describing what I take from it is some days my spiritual walk is one step forward and some days it's two steps back. It's a challenge and it's messy when it comes to our growth Cultivating personal potential. How do we go about doing that? Well, first of all, you got to crucify pride. That's the reason no one ever gets there is they can't admit any weakness. They can't admit any vulnerability. It's hard to learn something when you think you've learned it all. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We know that first well. So how do, you, how do you cultivate this potential, this personal potential? Crucify the pride. Second, be teachable. You got to be teachable. Proverbs 12, 1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction, you could put knowledge there, you could put instruction there. I love the Bible. It just puts it on the bottom itself. It says, they're just stupid. I know we're told our kids don't call each other stupid, but the Bible calls us stupid, right? Cultivating personal potential also involves become a lifelong learner. I'm convinced of that. I, I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life I went to school. Some of you are in Gardner-Webb students are here this morning. and I went to school, got my undergraduate, went on to Divinity School or, or seminary, got my three-year degree. It took me four years, by the way. But I got it. And I'll be honest with you. I was sick of reading. I was sick of studying. And you know what I found out being in the ministry? I was just starting that whole process. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I think for the first 12 to 18, 24 months, I didn't learn anything because I was tired of learning. And I'll be honest with you, I think I became stale as a person, as a pastor, as someone who communicates to people. I've learned to, to, to live the potential God's called me to live. I've got to be a lifelong learner. I can't just shut off. I need to learn, and so do we. How, so how do you do that? How, how do you do that? I, I preached on this uh, several years ago, and I had someone come to me and say, okay, you talk about lifelong learner. How, how do you do that? Well, number one, you need to be discerning about what's happened to you in your life. You can't just sit here in life and just coast and coast and just say, oh, what will be, will be. No, you got to be discerning. You got to know what you're dealing with. You got to know how God is working this into your life. You got to know. You got to have discernment. You got to have wisdom. Some practical things you can do. I try to read a chapter of a book every day of my life. A chapter. Now, I make sure they're small chapters. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 
But I do. I, I really try to, 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 to understand more fully my faith, to understand more fully how to instruct people, how to, how to take God's word and bring it on the, put it on the bottom shelf, so to speak. But be a lifelong learner. How do we know that's what's expected in Scripture? James 1.5, many of you know this verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, what? Let him ask of God. To me, that's a lifelong thing there. How many of you feel like every day you need wisdom? You know what I need wisdom in? I need wisdom to know how to lead God's church. I need wisdom to know how to lead my family. I need wisdom to understand what's going on in my world. Because frankly, right now, I need a lot of wisdom on that one right now. But I need wisdom in every aspect of my life. The whole idea, this whole idea in James 1.5 implies a pursuit of wisdom. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is knowledge and discernment, which leads to proper judgments. It's the whole idea that, that I can take what I've learned and be discerning with it and come to a sound judgment about what's happening. And the people around us are counting on us to be that. Did you know that according to God's word, the world has its own version of wisdom? And do you know what it calls it? Foolishness. Foolishness. We're talking about God's wisdom. Next, cultivating personal potential. Create an intentional plan. Someone has rightly said, the only difference between who you are today and the person you'll be in five years will come from the books you read, what you invest in for knowledge, and the people you associate with. That is so true. When I started associating with the right people that were moving in the same direction as me, that were investing in me and I'm investing in them, that's when my life began to take off. When I began to read God's word, not from the perspective that I wanted to rationalize my sin and wanted to try to wrap uh, uh, what I wanted in my life around that and started understanding fully what God intends and his best, that's when my life took off. That's when it takes off. Next, focus on self-development, not self-fulfillment. I hear people say all the time that, man, I, I just don't do things unless it's just fulfilling. That's one of the most self-centered things you can, you can, the approaches you can take. Now, is it great when there's fulfillment in what you've been called to do? Absolutely. Great fulfillment. But that's not the pursuit, the number one pursuit in life. It's about self-development. You say, how would you know that? Read the Bible. It's all about that. Self-fulfillment's main objective is feeling good and does not translate to growth. Self-development is a higher calling, however. It is the de development of potential so that you can attain the purpose for which you were created. That's self-development. How do we find it in Scripture? Well, here's one that we should all know, Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who started or began a good work in us Listen, we'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to complete it until we see him face to face. But we have to be a willing participant, a willing participant to be developed, to grow in the word, to grow in the calling in which he places on our lives. And then I want to give these quickly. Always find ways to apply what you've learned. This is for you Garden Web students. It's really for all of us. Always attempt to apply what you've learned. Never become complacent with recent growth. That's what I did when I left seminary. I was like, okay, got the certificate, hang on the wall, I'm ready. I don't want to grow anymore. 
I was tired of growing, tired of knowledge. Boy, was I disappointed when I realized that's what life is all about. <laughs> Pay the price, discipline. Realize growth requires change and risk. That's one thing that I love about our church over the last 20 years. We've had change, and we've risked a lot too, haven't we? But God's been faithful. God's been faithful. You say, how, what's the fruit of, our fa of the faithfulness of the change and some of the risks? What we saw here just a moment ago. People giving their lives to Christ. People coming to the understanding. People being equipped to live the life God's called them to live. That's us positioning ourselves as a church and our community in such a way that we can actually do that. Next, realize, oh, I've already said growth requires change and risk. Next, right perspective and attitude concerning challenges. How many of you um, fear plagues you? I've told y'all many times, and I believe this with all my heart. I really do. I believe if uh, God looked at the enemy and said, hey, Satan, I just want to let you know that you've, you've really created a lot of havoc, so much so I'm going to limit you to two tools, two things that you can use. I'm convinced the enemy would use these two things, fear and doubt. You've heard me say it, but man, if he can, he can do most of his damage with just fear and doubt in a person's life. He can destroy that person, destroy faith. But it's the idea, the challenges of life, overcoming fear. In, in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's one of the longest dialogues that you'll find with Jesus talking to the disciples. And, and here's what he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And then he says this, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The implication there is this, there's going to be times where you're going to be deeply troubled. How many of you found that part of the text to be true? And he says, don't let that bring you to a place of fear. Boy, that's difficult, isn't it? But fear, it's real. So what can we do with it? Number one, discover the source of your fear. What's the source of your fear? Right now, you're dealing with something. Maybe there's something that is right there. It seems like it's just right there before you all the time, and it's based in fear. What is the source of that fear? How, why is that important? Because 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of what? A sound mind. You know what this verse tells me? Especially when it talks about sound mind. How many of you realize when fear comes into our lives, we no longer seem to have a sound mind? How many of you have noticed that? Yeah. It creates a lot of insecurities in us. It creates a lot of things in, in our lives that the enemy can springboard and use against us, keeping us from what God desires for us to be. And thirdly, admit your fear. Talk about it with God. So many times, I think when we go before God in prayer, I think we think we got to say all the right words. You know what I'm saying? And some of us even use the King James version of our words, oh, thou great heavenly father. You know, I, I'm, I'm, listen, I believe God should be reverenced and all that, but, but the King James Bible did not define who God is. God, I'm pleading with you. 
That's what we read in Scripture. David does it so well. Don't you love it when, when somebody in Scripture just declares their heart for what you're feeling? And it's okay. Now, the point is this. You don't stay there. You let God work you through it. And that's what King David did. That's the reason he was so successful in the things he was successful with. But anyway, admit your fear. I'm not going to have time to go any further. So I guess there'll be part three of the sermon. <laughs> but I do want to carry us back to where I ended it last week. And, and it's really that whole idea that one day we're going to stand before God. And here's what I'm hoping will happen when I stand before. I hope that I can stand before God pleasingly. I hope I can stand before God just like Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at what he says. The time of my departure is at hand. I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting ready to leave this world. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous just, will give to me on that day. I finally have gotten to this point. Did I get there perfectly? Absolutely not. Am I, have I finally arrived? Absolutely not. But I gave it all I got. I remain faithful to the end. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Where are you in this process? Have you started the incredible life? Have you even got on board with that? It begins with salvation. It begins coming to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It begins with you realizing your sin and realizing you're living outside of what God intends for you and, and coming to him through the provision of Jesus Christ who died for you, who wants to live in you and through you. That's what he desires for you. That that life can be incredible. Not because everything goes our way. Not because we're not dealing with cha challenges and circumstances that blow our mind, but like David, we can get to the end of it and say, you know something? It's really incredible. Like Paul, I, did, I, I went, I, I was all out. It wasn't easy. But I'm here. I'm here. Where are you in that process? Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. You say, you know something? I did exactly what you said. I've given my life to Jesus. I did all that. But I'm sitting here today, and I'm just here to tell you, I stopped growing a long time ago. This thing came into my life, and it just stopped me dead in my tracks. Let me, let me tell you this. The incredible life is not that. It's continuing to get up and pressing on, as Paul says, staying the course like Paul said, and keep on moving because there's something greater that's beyond all this. And when we get to heaven, I, I believe there's going to be a lot of testifying going on. There's going to be a lot of people saying, hey, let me tell you what God did in my life. And, and I'm telling you, man, I didn't think I could get through it. But I'm telling you, man, he did something wonderful. And I'm here to tell you. How, how many of you have those people in your life that you tell a story and they have to top that story? <laughs> I think that's what heaven's going to be about. <laughs> well, let me tell you what he did in my life. But there's some that could be sitting there saying, you know something? I never gave him the chance to do that in my life. I just shut down. Life was not incredible anymore after that. Where are you this morning? Would you stand to your feet and pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you so much for who you are. And Lord, uh, the times I've missed it with you have been those times where I didn't have the right perspective. 
I didn't have the right focus. I turned the focus in on myself. I began to be ruled by fear and doubt. I came to a place in my life where it was just like, in some ways, is it even worth it? But Father, I just thank you for the fact that you allowed Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to intercede those times I couldn't intercede, to, to bring me back to my feet, to allow me to press on, to stay the course. And Father, I want to be like Paul one day. I fought the fight. I ran the race. Here I am. Finally, finally, I'm here. Father, I pray that to be our testimony. Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior, they've never come and, and, and basically said, you know, I, I want what God wants for me. I want the best. And they've never trusted in provision of Jesus Christ to bring that best, to bring that incredible life. I pray, Lord, that before they leave here today, they see myself or another pastor or email me or something, Lord, to, to inform us that we can help them start that journey of knowing you in a way they never dreamed they could. Thank you for it. Father, again, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.